0: Morning, Church. Oh, yeah, uh, we can. We'll just pass around the tithes and offerings think <laughs> Duncan got slightly distracted. Talked about it, but didn't quite get there. So uh, it's all right. I can. Uh, for the rare people who actually carry cash with them, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a transitional message. So while uh, while we're still sorting everything out there. Um, were not the team great this morning, by the way? Yes, you can thank them. Um, they work really hard, and some of them working doubly hard today. And, um, but uh, it's awesome, yeah, just to see God moving through people. so um, So to, this morning's going to be a little bit of an in-betweener. Uh, message. So uh, we're wrapping up a series called Why Cornerstone Cares About or uh, What Cornerstone Cares About and each one has been uh, why we care about compassion, why we care about courageous leadership, why we care about church and today uh, I'm going to be speaking about why Cornerstone cares about connection. There's also a little bit of an intro message to our pre-Christmas season uh, leading into uh, what some call Advent, the, um, the season leading up to celebrating the birth of Jesus, the coming King. And so uh, in kind of preparation for that, this is a little bit of a somewhere in between. It could have been in either series. So um, I'm going to be speaking this morning out of Matthew 25, uh, a little bit out of Acts, a little bit out of Ezekiel, all out of the Bible. It's good. It's a good book. Awesome. So everyone's pretty settled. Great. So I'm just going to read my text for this morning. Uh, so it's 25, verse 31 to 46. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a, se- a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, cursed ones, into the fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't, give, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for each one of us to come into your presence. And as we celebrate this season of welcoming the king, We pray that we would hear your word. We would hear your instruction. God, that we would understand what you're saying to us. Lord, that we would welcome you into our lives, each of us individually, that we as a church would welcome you into our community, our city, that we as a church would welcome you into the lives of others by the way that we act. We pray that you would teach us and show us your ways this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start this morning talking about a little bit of this verse that we don't often actually highlight. I probably reference this verse, if you've been in this church long enough, probably like every second sermon. Um, I know Jesus said it was kind of important, so I'm okay with that there's so we reference the part where he talks about you know who i i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was hungry and you fed me and all of these things and we think of it very individually but if you open up the very beginning of this verse it actually talks to the collective it says the nations will be gathered in his presence i was thinking about what that means why is it the nations that are gathered. Why is it not that everyone standing? You know, why does it? Why does it speak to nations? Why does it speak about all of them standing there before God? Uh, we know that God does uh, deal with us personally. That our relationship with God is a personal one. That our connection to Him is something that is very personal. That uh, that we will stand before God. That we can't rely on what one other, uh, you know, one another have said. We can't, you know it's it's going to be between us and God so why the nations and when i was when i read some other verses around this and looking at what cuz this is actually in the context of three uh, three sort of mini sermons about judgment this is one of the few places that jesus actually speaks about judgment and each of these gives a bit of a picture as to what Jesus is saying to his people that they need to be aware of to be right with him. And so we come to this one. This is the last one. And actually in my Bible is titled the final judgment. This is how he sorts one from another. But uh, the first Uh, The one immediately before, it talks about those who, uh, it's the parable of the talents where uh, three people were given a set of, uh, or an allocation of talents. One was given one, one was given five, one was given ten, and what each one went on to do with that. Whether they the first two, the one with ten and the one with five, both went and invested and did well and the one with one buried it. Um, and so the, the judgment that comes is the, um, is the fact that they had not used what God had given them to ultimately serve others. If you look at the whole picture that he's painting here, um, and then the one before that the judgment before that talks it's the story about the parable uh, is the parable of the virgins being prepared so uh where they have oil in their lamp uh, five have oil in their lamps enough for through the night and five don't and um and the judgment is that they weren't prepared and so when you look at these it's all one picture we often tell them individually but it's all one picture and the three things that it's highlighting here is how we look after each other, how we use what we're given in our lives to look after each other, to serve God, and our connection with God. And I could go in, I've probably preached a sermon on uh, the oil in the lamps and being prepared, but it ultimately comes down to uh, our being connected with God, the oil representing the Holy Spirit presence of God, the anointing and things like that. So um, I'm ge- kind of giving you a bit of context so that I can go into this verse more than what I usually do in a sermon where I just reference it as a point of contact because because every time I reference it, i I actually, and I'm probably going to do it again, just so you know, I want you to understand and get a hold of what uh, w- the the weight of why this is in this Uh, why this is in this uh, outline of the judgment, why Jesus spoke so strongly about this to us, why we reference it so often because it is so important. So he speaks to nations, speaks to them standing there together. Because sometimes it's easy to hide in a crowd. Sometimes it's easy to... We've got our things in order. We've got our. This is what we do. Well, I, I, you know, I don't. I don't swear. I don't drink. I don't. Or don't get drunk. I don't. You know, like we have this list of things that we think that we can achieve in our lives in order to be right with God. And so, we do all the right things individually. And sometimes hiding in the crowd are things that we're responsible for that we're not as aware of. Hiding in the crowd is our own prejudice against those that are different to us. Hiding in the crowd is our own consumerism that drives people to stampede shopping centres on a sale day to the point where people are injured. Hiding in the crowd is our own ability to be numbed by entertainment to the point where we don't recognise what other people around us are going through. See, these things, these bigger picture things, hide in crowds. But most times when Jesus speaks about judgment, he actually speaks to the nations. Because God sees what's hiding in the crowd. And God sees the suffering of those that we're blind to or that we fail. And this is ultimately where it says the final judgment why he ends on talking about those that would have been overlooked by the people that he was speaking to. Those that were hungry. That were foreigners in the land that they wouldn't welcome. Those that were sick and in prison. Those that could be ignored when you're going along with the crowd that it's easier not to look at, those that Jesus said he was present in. And when we fail to recognize their value, we actually fail to recognize his value. So we miss the point when we only think about I. We have to think about us. This is why church is important. This is why Community is important. I could have done a sermon and thought about doing a sermon on why Cornerstone cares about community. Because connection matters connection with each other and connection with God. This isn't the first time we see this explained. Uh, cutting right into the Christmas. Theme. You can jump into Luke chapter 2. Or you don't need to. I'll read it for you quickly. It says, And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He travelled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. He She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. This is one of those places where the Bible kind of casually brushes over something really important. I guess all of human history in terms of what's important to our relationship with god all of god's history is in like a book this size so sometimes what's contained in like 10 lines is something so significant when you read this and uh get a little bit like of a question in your mind as to what's going on here like how what has led to a baby being born in a stable remainder a place where animals are kept what has led to them being in that situation we know that they were uh, they were required to go to that place because of the census so they had to be traveling in a place um, back to what it says was Joseph's essentially where his he had descended from there would have been family and relatives or n- maybe extended or like those that he would have been distantly related to. So he was going back to a place. Actually, it'd it'd be like travelling back to your parents' homeland. If your parents migrated here from somewhere and maybe you never visited, but you had to go back to, uh, you know, whichever place for a lot of us, is like a lot of South African, New Zealand, you know, like people from all over the place. Um, If you had to go back to where your parents had been born, you're likely to find some people that you're, you know, connected to. When it says that uh, we, we understand that he was going back to a place that he'd originated from. What we also know about Bethlehem is literally not even, um, like, wouldn't have been on the map. It is now because it's kind of like a bit of a tourist spot, but it's like up in the hills. It's literally shepherd territory. It's, uh, it's not anything of significance. It would have been a zero. Like As far as a town, it probably didn't have a hotel um, or an inn, as we say. Um, The same word in the Bible for inn or place of lodging is actually also um, the same word used for a house that was big enough where family members would like, they would have a place where family members as they traveled would stay. Very unlikely to have Um, a a commercial-like place. We have those, you know, the um, good old nativity plays where they go to, like, four different hotels and knock on the door and, you know, the full sign. Um, What's more likely is that they went to a number of extended family members' homes looking for a place of lodging in those... And to find no place available was... Maybe maybe they were overcrowded, but usually you would make space for any family member. If your family member came knocking on the door, you would generally make, a, you know, space for them. Um, if, you know, you could lay, lay out an extra mattress or, yeah. But it's interesting that at the end of that description, it says, he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. That's a very, like... It could say who was due to give birth soon, or who was uh, who, who was uh, at the end of her pregnancy, or or who was you know like, but it's obviously pregnant. This is like the the point is that people can tell that this is an unwed couple that are having a baby. That's the point of the story here. And, and so they've gone to a place where it's a small town, everybody knows everybody, and these distant relatives have turned up and no one wants to be associated with them. No one wants to welcome them. No one wants to make space for them. And so we see echoes of this in Jesus' life, even when he goes into ministry and he's not welcomed, even in his own town, it said he could barely do but a few miracles in that place because of the familiarity that was there. That's not to say it was because they knew him well, I think sometimes we put it down to that. There's something about that attitude of being close but not connected. That allows us to make decisions, or, or, or to, like I guess the people in this story. Maybe, maybe it wasn't judgment. Maybe it was fear of what other people would think of them. Maybe it was fear of what would happen if there would be consequences because, you know, the, all sorts of cultural issues around these sort of situations. What would people think? Would it cost them when they went to work the next day? Would they be? Ostracized when they went to uh, go worship at their place of worship, would they uh, have people that accused them of doing the wrong thing because they were having someone who was doing the wrong thing in their presence was all of these things would have been fears that stopped them being welcomed into anybody's home. So they were not accepted by those that should have known them, or should have recognized. And that's part of the description where it says, because he was a descendant of King David. See, the family had been spoken prophetically over. You know, the Israelites had the prophetic words about him who had come from the line of David. If you'd had prophets for hundreds of years speak, you know, uh, the fuller loves, a man of God is going to come from the fuller loves that's going to up, rise up and rescue the nation of Australia. You, you would know, your family would know that this was something that had been spoken about for generations. That he would come from the line of David, so he goes to the place of the line of David. The very people that should have recognised his presence or the potential totally missed the point. Church, I don't want to be in a place where the very people who should recognise the presence of God and what he's calling and appointing for this time because of fear, Or because we don't understand, or because I don't like being tied to the thing. I move around too much. And we see it again in our own lives every time we're asked to accept Jesus and we choose not to. Every time we're asked to be obedient to His will in our lives and we choose not to. I find it interesting to look at who were the ones that recognised who Jesus was. The entire way through the Gospels, but even in this Christmas story, it's shepherds and wise men, or Magi, from the East. Completely people who would not be expected to be the ones that recognise this coming King. The shepherds... Uh, those uh, they're, they're almost outsiders in their own uh, in their own like city because they live with the animals they like li- literally live in the fringes of the cities and because the the pastures and stuff would be out on on the edges, even sometimes outside city gates so they were seen as outsiders even now when you go to the middle east uh, there's what they call the Bedouin they're the animal grazers and they live off the grid they don't even have electricity or like anything that's normal to what uh you know what everyone in the cities have they kind of live in this like community they are they are actual outsiders um and so the shepherds are recognized as those that kind of outside of outside of the boundaries, outside of uh, the city, the norm. And the Magi from the east, like what's with that? So the, the kings, they, they're seen as wise or they're described as wise men or, or men with powers, cause about like, they ha- like magicians, come, so, kind of the same word. Magi from the east, like these people with power and influence from far away recognize and come and bring gifts. Like We know that that's because God speaks to unexpected people to reveal because the ones closest weren't willing to open their doors. God often uses unexpected things to reveal to us what he's doing. I wonder if it's sometimes because we didn't listen to the expected things. Did we not hear... When the first, you know, like sometimes God goes to incredible lengths to get our attention, but I wonder sometimes if it's because we didn't open the door the first time he knocked. That's just a side thought. So we're going to be talking this Christmas about welcoming the king. The other point I have about connection this morning is that to be able to do what Jesus is requiring of us in this verse, which is so outside of our human nature, we need to recognize that it's not actually us first that welcome him into the world. I love the Christmas carols that talk about like you know, joy to the world, the you know, king has come and all those things that talk about welcoming him into the world. But this was not actually us welcoming God into the world. Christmas is about God welcoming us into his world. Christmas is actually about God making a way for us to be welcomed again. And so when he requires of us to welcome the other, we do it from a place of knowing that we have been welcomed first. And so this Christmas, as we talk about welcoming the king, we need to do it from a place of understanding that he went to incredible lengths to welcome us. That this entire story of humanity from start to finish is about God welcoming us into his world. So what does that look like? Had an interesting experience yesterday. And I'm gonna start with somewhat of a, um, what do you call it, disclaimer. I probably sound like, uh, I don't wanna say more political, but I have probably been more politically active in like the last few weeks Uh, than I ever have in my entire life. Um, And that, I don't think, is something that I would always be doing or something that I would always suggest. But there are times when you look through or when I look back over history and I wonder what I would have done in those times. Times of great injustices or when things were out of order, the things were, um, you know, people were oppressed, groups of people... Were mistreated, and I wonder what I would have done. And like, I daily go through this process of wondering: Would I have stood up for that person? Would I? What? You know, at what point would I have said, "This is enough"? And so, yes, I have kind of, like, if you want to say, been like talking about those things a lot more than usual. And so, this uh, Lord just yesterday. There was a rally in the city, um, collective action um, that was part of the refugee rights action uh, network and and a whole lot of other groups that came together to demonstrate in the city. um, Trying to get the message out that the general public of Australia are not okay with people being mistreated. Um, regardless of what we think of, of immigration policies and all of those things that are complicated and we have like you know not even entering that discussion but like the that when people are mistreated that is not okay when people who are looking for safety are not welcome that is not okay and so uh, we, I went along to this rally and there's groups there everything from like the Socialist Alliance like which I don't know if you've ever like <laughs> university students will know what they're like but the, um, interesting group and then there's you know you've got everything like right through uh, right through to like some Christian groups that are there you've got like Doctors for Refugees and Moms for you like all these different groups uh, and Christian groups there too um, and Arlo, the dog, with his—he's <laughs> great. Uh, and so, I was just looking over all of these groups who were standing up and saying, "This is not okay," and "and, and mistreating people is not okay." And they were reading some statements from the guys who are currently in the camps, and um, and just recognizing for a minute, like what what actually was happening in people going, "I'm going to take a step." Today and do something for someone else that's of no benefit whatsoever to me. Thinking about the actions that people were taking, take like you know, they they were there standing in the gap for people. I mean, we we were there. Um, we walked down with Jalil, who you might have met, who's come to church here, who is um, who has come from Manus. But like most of the people there, would never have known anyone or met anyone. A lot of you know. They, they wouldn't know people personally, so they're not there representing someone that they actually have, um, you know, it's not their kids or, you know, we go and do things. Uh, you often see people pick up a cause because someone in their family's experienced something or those sort of things. But um, And so I was like, well, what makes a person do this? And then after seeing those groups, including the Christian groups there, we walked back to our car in the car park and as we were walking uh, back through the cultural centre, I assume because the um, pride parade was on at night, that there were quite a few Christian groups who'd gathered in the um, cultural centre to... Uh, like, I don't know, to, they had, like, a, a little podium um, with a big stop sign on it and, like, um, had sort of described kind of what the consequences of not heeding the word of God was and, and were attempting to... Um, you know, get people to stop and talk with them and give them flyers and stuff. And uh, Tash said uh, to me at night when we were talking about seeing those two different groups of Christians, both, I believe, 100% from, like, you know, well-intentioned, you know, possibly not entirely well thought out, but that's beside the point, but she... Tash had a great way of summarising or summing it up. She said, one, we're showing the love of Jesus and another, we're trying to tell people about the love of Jesus. And yes, to tell others is an act of love in itself, depending on how you go about it. Uh, But there's something about actually taking a step into someone's world to help them when they're in the their most difficult situation that represents the love of God to people in a way that acknowledges how God stepped into our world when we were at the most lost without him, without a way to get right with him, that he stepped into our situation regardless of where we were at. I know you know how far I was from ever knowing or being able to accept who he was but he stepped into my world and there's something about stepping into another's world, whether it be visiting someone in prison, whether it be getting alongside someone and cooking a meal for them when they're sick, whether it be uh, being able to welcome someone to your table at Christmas who hasn't got anywhere to be or welcoming someone into your circle of friends at work who has been otherwise ostracized, whether it be welcoming someone who has been disregarded by our nation, whatever that looks like, stepping into someone else's suffering recognises and demonstrates what God has done in our life. It brings glory to him because it is who he is. It's the character that he's shown us. Amen? And ask the band to come up and join me. If we are to do what God is calling us to do, to be a people that welcome Jesus, He gives us a pretty clear picture of what that looks like. And yes, it begins by believing in Him, but it doesn't end there. Because while He says salvation comes by believing, There is no point where it looks like that's the end of the story. When you read Jesus' teaching about where we go from there, when we read his teaching, even when it goes to the point of talking about judgment, he talks about what it looks like to accept him in your life and that means accepting others. It means going to great lengths to accept others. If we neglect our connection with God, a sure sign of that will be an inability to show love for others. If we sit back, like the second parable, on all the things that God has given us and fail to share those with others, even if we're doing all the right things and ticking all the right boxes individually. We miss the point. And if we invest our entire life seeking the presence of God and wanting to... Uh, you know, get to every conference and, and come to every service and, and do everything that you know read every book and know everything about, but we fail to love others around us. We've missed the point. It's essentially just a paraphrase of the Bible so I can't really claim it. it says if, there's, if we have all of these things and not love, we've missed the point. If we want to be a church that leads people to accept Jesus, we need to demonstrate that to them first. We're given time and time again the instruction to love others as he loved us first. That's what it looks like to seek God and to grow deeper in your relationship with him. Yes, we need to go to a place of encountering him and his presence, no doubt. And that's why we're getting together tonight to seek and pray because it will only come out of that place. Yes, we need to believe. Yes, we need to recognize. That's why... We come and share communion every week, remembering what Jesus has done and come together as his body. That should always bring us to a place of being active in our love for others, whatever that looks like for you. And for me, at the moment, that means using my voice for what. Uh, to whatever length it takes to speak out against injustice that's happening right now. And I'd like to say I'm unapologetic about that, but I think I'm apologising for that a little bit right now. But that's me right now. But I know at other times in my life that's been you know driving kids home from youth group to one o'clock in the morning or going round to a, a you know someone's house for the third time in a week because they're in crisis or or giving you know uh, making sure that the church has provision here to meet the need of every request of someone who comes in looking for food or it means you know it looks different at different times i'm not saying it always has to look like what i've been doing lately it The question is the same. The outcome is what God's speaking to you. Who is God asking you to welcome? Who is that representation of Jesus in your life that is hungry, that is alone, that is left behind or left out, that is marginalised? If Jesus is leading you, to accept him, it'll look like accepting them. Loving them. And not just loving them in a way that says you know, go and be blessed. But then leaving them hungry. That's the Bible too. But actually loving them actively. Would you stand this morning, church? Sometimes that looks like addressing things that are big picture and that's why as a church we can be so much more effective than we can as individuals. Where there's a need in our community for disconnected, disengaged or at risk young people to have education there's an ability to provide Alter one to minister to that need, could any of us do it individually, could we as a church even do it without the partnership of altar one and the education we couldn't we need connection could we see change in the world in all that's wrong with the world right now on our own let me encourage you that one voice is significant but when others join that voice I think one of my favourite things yesterday and it's amazing how much God you can actually recognise in the people he created even when they don't yet know him and there were people from different groups Uh, there was some Aboriginal rights groups and refugee rights groups and um, even people from uh, representatives from the Pride Parade and some of the stuff going on there. And they had all come in and were reading... uh, And the Aboriginal... Like, they were all reading different parts and and encouraging. and, um, And then the Aboriginal lady at the end, she said... And she was talking about the need for their people to be helped and and their young people to be lifted out of the situation that they're in. And uh, and she said, um, if you and she looks at like one of the groups, and she says, if you get behind us, and we get behind you, and then we and she talks to the group, so, uh, we get behind these men that need help right now. And speaks about how the power of coming together as a collective. Uh, and, I, and I was going, you know, there's, this is such a picture of, of how God actually desires for us as his church to operate. If we could lift one another up, if we could stand behind each other in our times of difficulty, support each other when we're sick or in prison, hopefully not, but, in, you know, when we need help, Financially, when we need encouragement spiritually, when we need prayer or when we need counseling, when we can do that together as the church, we represent the ability of God to do that for others. And we welcome those who need to find hope. So, I'm going to ask you a weird question this morning. Because maybe it's a question that you were asked a long time ago if you've been a Christian most of your life. Then maybe you were asked it when you were really young. Maybe you were asked it a few years ago, a few months ago. I want every person to close their eyes and consider this for a moment. Will you accept Jesus today? See, we talk about accepting Jesus into our lives as something theoretical. But when we read his word, his instructions, his stories, see his life, his actions, his laying down of his life when he goes to the cross, we see that accepting Jesus is more often than not going to look like accepting others in our lives demonstrating love to others the way he did to us. So would you consider for a minute today? Maybe things have stopped you being able to open the door, like Mary and Joseph's family, that they encountered in Bethlehem, whether it be society's attitudes, maybe it's things that have happened to you, maybe it's fear, maybe it's worry about what the outcome would be. Maybe it's that you you feel like you don't have enough to give. But the question to you today is, will you accept Jesus? Will you invite him in? And so as we would normally do for a first-time decision, and if this is your first time, then that's great too. But as we would normally lead people to consider giving their lives to Jesus the first time, I'm asking you this morning, will you accept Jesus into your life when he comes in the form of a stranger, when he comes in the form of someone that's sick or needs Prayer or needs your time when he comes in the form of someone that's oppressed and has no voice, needs to be, uh, you know, needs us to stand up for them. When he comes in the form of someone that's hard to love, when he even comes in the form of your enemy, that's a hard road to walk. This is the gospel that he preached, it's not easy, it's not comfortable. And so if you do want to make that decision today, I want to pray for you. I want to make that decision today. I want to make that decision every day. So if you today want to accept Jesus... This might feel a bit strange if you've been a Christian your whole life. But would you lift your hand right now? Lord, we thank you that you welcomed us. that you welcomed us into your world and not the other way round and not only that you loved us first that you saw us that you time and time again reached out to us that you gave all that you had for us not knowing we're not expecting from us, not forcing us to make a decision for you, you did it willingly. You laid down your life for us we thank you and we want to welcome you into our lives. Help us to recognize you in the face of others. To recognize you in the world around us. To see people that you created in your image with your eyes. With the same unconditional, unfailing love that you showed us. God, help us to step into that for others. Give us the strength, and the wisdom, and the grace to do it. Let us make this decision every morning. Remind us, God, when they're hard, when it's a difficult decision, when it takes more of us, meet us in that moment and equip us to be your people in Jesus' name.